Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. I'm Ed Kless with my good friend and co-host Ron Baker. And folks, on today's show, we have our fourth interview. He'll be getting the gold jacket next time uh, with Dr. Paul Thomas. Ron, how you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, I feel guilty. I think we should be uh, patients of Dr. Paul. He's been on so much. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to be willing to bet that in the last two and a half years, he's, there's there's probably some patients that he has seen less than he's seen us. He's seen us. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> there's, there's probably a couple. Uh, <laughs> but let me uh, quick bring him on here. Dr. Paul Thomas is a board-certified medical physician practicing in Corktown, Detroit. His practice is Plum Healthcare DPC a direct primary care service, the first of its kind in Detroit and Wayne County. His mission is to deliver affordable, accessible healthcare services in Detroit and beyond. He's been on a number of places with media talking about direct primary care, including, as we said, the soul of enterprise uh, three times previously. He is the author of the book, Direct Primary Care, The Cure for Our Broken Healthcare System. And he is also now a clinical assistant professor. So we'll maybe talk to a little bit about that, that aspect of, of what he's been doing. But Dr. Paul, welcome back to the soul of enterprise. Hey, thank you so much for having me here. It's always great to be here and a pleasure to talk with you guys again for a fourth time. I love yeah. it. So before we get to the fun stuff, which is, you know, the business side of things that Ron and I like to geek out on and subscription services and DPC, which is doing great. Let's do a, a little after action review, so to speak, on on where we've been just current events wise with regard to to, to COVID. You were mentioning before we started, uh, came on the air that you had a, a crunch in, in December, seemed to be coming out of that. So give us your assessment of where you think we are right now. Yeah, you know. Walking into this pandemic, it was a scary situation because there are so many unknown variables. But you know, it seems to me that we've done a really good job with uh, you know Operation Warp Speed, getting vaccines available to people uh, really quickly, and having three different options for vaccines here in the United States that have given people a good amount of protection. And we've had two, two different you know three different spikes on this. We've had the original variant the Delta variant, and most recently, Omicron variant. The Omicron really hit us hard over the Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and into the early part of January. And we were doing so much running around testing because now we have a really good test, like 24-hour or rapid PCR testing. And so, you know, between giving vaccines out of our clinic and uh, testing people for COVID, curbside, um, we just did a lot of work in December and January. There's a lot to take in. But my feeling is that, you know, these variants have become weaker and weaker as time has gone on. And I feel like more and more Americans are being vaccinated. So more and more of us have at least some protection, getting less severe infections. And I'm hoping, you know, I'm going to knock on wood and cross my fingers that we're coming to the end of this or the end of the most severe part of this pandemic. 
And when you say they're getting weaker, Ron and I, in fact, had a conversation about this earlier today. Does the the, the strains actually get weaker or is it because we our immune system is almost working collectively against them that 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 makes them less effective as when we pass it, pass it on? How does the do you know how the epidemiology works with that? Yeah, that's that's an amazing question. I can't answer that specifically, but just from the data, we're seeing that fewer people are being hospitalized for the mm-hmm. Omicron variant in relation to the Delta or the original variants. And then uh, the hospitalization seem to be less severe. And then um, the other part of that is the Omicron is more transmissible. So maybe there's something there that allows it to be more uh, passed on easily, passed on more easily, but not as cause not a severe infection. So um, that could be in part due to the number of Americans with who are immunized or vaccinated. Um, and in part, that could be due to the virus and the, just not being as severe. Yeah, because there's now yet another new subvariant, right? Uh, it's a variant of, of a variant, I guess, at this point. Uh, uh, and, and that is uh, from what I, the early reports indicate that it, the, the vaccine has absolutely no effect on that from a spread standpoint. It still is protection against hospitalization and, and mortality, but the vaccine doesn't seem to be effective against that aspect of it. Kind of weird. Yeah, I've been reading the articles that are coming out. This is a relatively recent thing, but yeah, it looks like the subvariant has been found in 57 countries. So hopefully that it, you know, we have some protection with our current vaccines or uh, the natural immunity that people have gotten from being vaccinated and then potentially contracting previous variants has given us some level of protection against this new subvariant. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it, it is really amazing. One of the things I, I did want to ask you about, you know, um, and I'm sure you, you, you've seen this report as well, that the the Moderna vaccine was developed 48 hours after the sequencing, sequencing of, of the genome. So but this is back in January of 2020. They actually had what, what became now the Moderna RNA sequencing. And we had a, a guy by the name of Ronald Bailey on the show uh, in July. He's a medical science writer and he, he made a bold prediction. He said, because of this mRNA technology, he says, we may be ex- experiencing the last pandemic um, because hmm. of the ability for us to produce these things. The question that that we that I have is, are you, and do you have any, any insight on this? Um, once we prove that mRNA technology works, is it fairly safe to develop those vaccines quicker and deliver them? Or would we have to go through a stringent set of testing for each one? Because the mRNA seems to be its own kind of thing. You know, it's like a delivery system, you know? Yeah, that's another amazing question. And that's more of a political answer than anything, because it's you're you're waiting on a regulatory body like the FDA to make that decision. Um about whether or not you can safely administer this medication. And if you remember, the uh, Moderna and Pfizer were under emergency use authorization, so they were not FDA approved initially. Now, later they became FDA approved. But this is really up to the United States to hopefully streamline this FDA approval process, because you can imagine that you know, due to the effectiveness of these Moderna Pfizer vaccines using mRNA technology, the applications now become limitless. We could start treating cancers or, you know, even the common cold or the flu with mRNA type, uh, you know, technology. And so I, the answer there is more political than anything, unfortunately. 
Yeah, but but just uh, and and I understand the politics of it. But do you, do you think from a from a medical perspective that that we it, we almost should consider the mRNA a platform? Is that me? Am, am I? I'm I'm not sure if I'm I'm, I'm a layman trying to understand it. So <laughs> yeah, I I think. I think you're right. I mean, I'm a car guy. We're in Detroit here. So <laughs> let's, let's call the MRNA the, um, the, like the chassis and you're yeah. using all these different um, models that operate on that same chassis. So, you know, scientists are pretty excited about the, having this baseline chassis to build out different uh, delivery vehicles for other uh, conditions. I heard cancer being discussed or other viruses, uh, viral treatment. So I'm yeah. excited about that. And I hope that we can streamline treatment for other conditions uh, more rapidly, maybe yeah. cystic fibrosis or who knows what. Yeah. And, and talk a little bit about, I, I have no experience with this. Thank God, knock wood. Um, but the, the therapeutics that are out, they seem to be doing some amazing work as well. And we, we, this is all still, still new technology. We never really had anything that co could combat a virus before. In fact, I remember hearing that when you're growing up, well, if you have a virus, there's nothing we can do for you and <laughs> keep you comfortable. Yeah, so the therapeutics that we're typically using here in, uh, at our clinic, you know, we're using the basic stuff that we already have, um, you know, like steroids, like prednisone mm -hmm. has been a really strong treatment option. Uh, and then we also have azithromycin, which is an antibiotic, but it has a really strong anti-inflammatory effect because you're treating that symptom of inflammation that happens when you get this virus. But yeah, uh, and then... Of course, there's ivermectin. We've uh, seen some patients in the community being treated with ivermectin. And similarly, it's having a good effect. But yes, to have tailor-made antivirals rapidly for this COVID has been tremendous. It's been amazing. You know, we, we do have um, uh, medications for influenza that we've used in the past that have been available. But to see mm. a rapid deployment for something within you know, two years or 18 months of, of uh, a new viral strain is tremendous. Yeah. I mean, and I think just bodes well for the future that, that is it, you know, we, yes, it's absolutely been horrible, almost a million deaths in the United States. No one's going to say, say that, that that's good in any way. Um, but, but it is quite amazing the technology from all different sides that we've, we've been able to assemble and, and bring to bear on this. Yeah, and and Paxlovid is that new one that's uh, made by yeah. Pfizer, and so you know that's using that uh, it's you know antiviral medication. So it's going to be amazing to see what we're able to do in the future for other things. You know, we do have antiretrovirals for HIV, for example, hmm. but could we see other applications for hepatitis, etc.? Yeah, it gets pretty exciting there. And we've got about two minutes before our break. How, is it, it, your practice um, with, with regard to, to COVID do, do, doing okay with, with, I mean, you mentioned the January or, or the December push, but the, the most of the folks that you've had to, had to treat come through okay? Yeah, you know, we, we have helped a lot of patients. You know, we've, we unfortunately have had, we had one death very early in the pandemic. This was March 2020. And that was really sad and tragic. And, you know, that's a whole nother topic. Grieving the loss of a loved one when um, you're in the midst of a pandemic, not being able to bring people together. But on the whole, our, our cohort of patients here has been really healthy and able to weather the storm. We've had a few hospitalizations, 
but we've been able to convince most of our patients to get the vaccine. So the severity of infection has been less. Um, mm-hmm. And for, you know, we do skew a little bit younger. We don't have that many people who are in their seventies or eighties or nineties. We probably have 20 to 50 patients uh, above 70 years of age. So we haven't had that many, you know, we're not a geriatrics practice, so we don't have that many older folks who are the most susceptible, the most vulnerable to the virus. Sure, sure. Well, we are up against that first break. Want to remind everyone that they can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Also, join our Patreon channel where you can get the show commercial free as well as our bonus episodes that we do. And at a certain level, if you become a Patreon sponsor, you can get a shout out like my, Mark Gandy did at CFO Bookshelf. His podcast is CFO Bookshelf dot com so check that out but right now a word from our sponsors be sure to friend us on facebook you can do it right now visit facebook.com forward slash voice america or search for us at keyword voice america Ron, let's take a minute and talk about our new sponsor, File, F-Y-L-E. We saw a demo of this thing, and it's really awesome. It really is. It allows complete flexibility. You can use any program to submit your expenses. I found that completely liberating. Yeah, and of course, it integrates with all of the accounting software out there. Yeah, and they really nailed their pricing. They use a flat pricing system, so you don't pay for all your employees, only the ones that actually file their expense reports. Yep, so check them out at FileHQ.com. That's F-Y-L-E-H-Q.com. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. Have you listened to so many of my ads that it's corroded your soul? I absolutely have. What if I told you that you could listen to my voice for an entire podcast? I'd say that approximately half of the podcast is actually my voice. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. And I'm Caleb Newquist. We're launching a new podcast called Oh My Fraud. Ron and Ed explore the soul of enterprise. Caleb and I explore fraud, which is more like the herpes of enterprise. Go to wherever you get your podcasts and download Oh, oh my fraud. fraud. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. 
Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with our fourth interview with Dr. Paul Thomas, and he's also the author of a highly recommended book, Startup DPC, How to Start and Grow Your Direct Primary Care Practice. I recommend it to our audience because I think there's tons of things that we professionals can learn from the medical profession. And Dr. Paul, I wanted to ask you, one of the biggest objections we get, we work a lot with CPAs, lawyers, other types of professionals, uh, when we talk about subscription, they say, well, how does it scale? How can you possibly scale? Your cash flow is so minimal with monthly payments. Now you've scaled. You have two other doctors working with you. How did you do it? Yeah, that's a great question. I think uh, scaling in this uh, instance is just serving one patient at a time with excellent medical care and uh, creating deep uh, trusting relationships with our patients and then just delivering on our promise that we're going to deliver affordable, accessible healthcare services. I meet people at the door and I answer their phone calls and I respond to their text messages right away. And um, that makes an impact on people. And when they get that kind of service, which is unique in the healthcare space, they want to tell their friends, their neighbors, their family members. And so we end up getting a lot of other people signing up with our service because they want this level of care, this level of um, uh, service, this level of uh, sincerity from a physician for, for themselves, for their fam family and friends. So we've scaled by just delivering great service. And then we hired another doctor. When I, I got full, I got to about 550 patients. So I hired another doctor, Dr. Orlick. And then we got her up to about 475, 500 patients. And we hired a third doctor, uh, Dr. Leslie Rabot. And she's currently at about 260 patients. So that's wow. how we do it. We, we just go one at a time. And eventually, we're going to have to go to a new location because our current location is pretty full here. And so you know, we're in that process of looking for another location where we can be successful. And Dr. Paul, I would imagine that the time by the time you got up to the 550 panel, uh, it was probably lesser for the next two doctors that they, they took less time to fill up their panel for Sorry. sure yeah it was a new concept for me i started slow and i it took me a year to get to 100 patients by two and a half years though i had 550 patients and that's when i hired dr orlick she got full in like 18 months um meaning like around 450 500 patients and then dr rabot she's gotten 260 patients in one year so I'm hoping that over the next six months to 12 months, she'll be full as well. And so, you know, you know, it took me two and a half years to get full and for the other doctors, like a year and a half to two years to fill up. Right. Um, and, you know, you have a great philosophy. I, I was going through my notes on your book this morning and you say relationships don't scale. I love that, you know, and, and the whole value over volume. Can you yep. kind of explain your philosophy behind that? Because I think that's profound. Yeah. You know, every day I try to over deliver on the, the amount of value that I'm giving to my patients. Our patients are paying $50, $70 a month, $10 a month for kids right now. And so I always go over and above for my patients and I always want to leave them, you know, feeling like they're getting more out of the service than what they're paying for it. And then, um, you know, I say relationships don't scale, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to, let's say, take a, have a national direct primary care brand because you really need to have a physician that cares for their patients 
is the bedrock of this uh, type of enterprise or this business. And so I try to give my doctors the time and the space and the capacity to set up those trusting, um, sometimes intimate relationships with our patients where they can call or text anytime they need something and we can answer their uh, questions whenever they have them and get them the care and service that they need. Right. And before we went live, we were talking, I I thought I was losing my mind, but I I seem to remember you opened a second office. Um, Can you explain what happened with that? Yeah. So that that was a tough one. We tried to open an office in Farmington Hills, which is a suburb of Detroit. And I think what we ran into was that area that we selected was pretty saturated with folks who had insurance already. And so it grew too slowly for the doctor that we brought on and she was looking to grow faster. We got up to about a hundred patients in a year, which is pretty good as far as DP standards, DPC standards, but I think she wanted to grow a little bit faster and she had a pretty long commute as well. So there are multiple factors that went into it, but ultimately it wasn't a sustainable location. So I learned some hard lessons from being a small business owner and trying to grow into a second location uh, without doing a full due diligence. And so this time, you know, we've hired a, a research firm and they actually selected two locations in the metro area that would be perfect for our next spot. And they did some research around our patient clientele, the age ranges, and also the racial ethnic makeup of those communities and also the number of people in those communities who are estimated to have insurance versus who are uninsured. And so with that kind of information in hand, I think we can go into our second location with a little bit more confidence. That's fantastic. And then you can, uh, do you you have plans to go beyond the three doctors that you have? Yeah. The idea would be if we opened a second location, uh, we would hire a fourth doctor and uh, continue to scale that way. Um, Just one physician at a time. Uh, feeding them as many patients as we can by, you know, marketing and getting the word about out about the service. And then once they get to a sustainable point of like 400 or 500 patients looking to bring in that, you know, fifth doctor to help them with that patient load and continue to scale that way. Without being too invasive, I don't want you to say anything out of school, but when you hire a new doctor, do you put them on salary until they grow their panel to a certain point, then do they become like a partner or do they get a revenue share? How's the economics of that work? That's a great question. So doctors come out of residency, are in residency and they're making basically $6,000 monthly, um, you know, sometimes $5,000 or sometimes $6,500. So we basically match their resident salary. And then we, once they get above a certain threshold, we pay them based on a percentage of revenue that they bring in. And so they usually surpass that base salary in like six months to a year. And then they start earning beyond that base salary and they can earn as much as they want. You know, if you want to go up and have 600 patients in your panel, that's great. If you feel really good at 400 patients, that's great too. So, you know, that's really up to the individual physician. The more patients they take on, the more money revenue they'll generate, the more money that they'll see in their paycheck. And it's really a direct, transparent way. So they they know exactly where they stand. There's no like a shell game or tricks. It's just like whatever you bring in, you get paid a percentage of that revenue. Right. Have you hired the other two doctors out of residency? 
Yep, exactly. All, wow. all three doctors that I have hired have come directly out of residency. Of course, the one doctor uh, didn't, didn't grow as fast as she would have wanted to. So she went on and got another job with a different health system, which is great. I'm glad that she found something that's going to be fulfilling for her. But yeah, I mean, for doctors who want to join us, it's pretty low risk. You're coming out of residency. Um, you're going to le- learn our new system. If it doesn't work out after a year, you can obviously go on to something else. But if it really does work out and you find fulfillment, if you love the patients you get to take care of, um, you you can earn basically two hundred to two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year and see five to ten patients a day, whereas most doctors have to see, you know, twenty five to thirty patients to make two hundred to two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, and that's that's a real draw for the doctors who join us. They they have a manageable schedule where they can see five to ten patients a day on average, maybe seven to eight, and they come in at nine, leave at five, and have fulfilling lives outside of the practice of medicine in our office, and have an hour to work with each patient that comes through the door is pretty transformational. And that's that's why doctors want to join our practice. Right, because this is the doctor that they were meant to be. Amen. You, you, you talk about the concept of ikigai, a Japanese term. Can you explain that? Yeah, you know, ikigai is your reason for being, and it's a combination of doing what you love, doing what you're good good at, doing something that the world needs, and uh, being able to be paid for what your work. And a lot of doctors find that they they meet three of those criteria, but they may not love what they're doing just because they don't have enough time with their patients. Um, they're just running through 25, 30 patients a day. Maybe they get 10 to 15 minutes of FaceTime with each patient. They take a lot of work home and do a lot of documentation on their computer in the evening after their kids go to bed, and it can lead to a lot of burnout. You know, this latest statistic is that about 80% of physicians are feeling burned out through this pandemic right now. And so I like to think of direct primary care as an antidote to that, where doctors can achieve that ikigai or ikigai, and they can, you know, avoid burnout as much as they can um, by having enough time with their patients doing something that's fulfilling for them, loving what they do, doing something they're good at and getting paid for it. Right. Uh, that's great. You know, we've only got a couple of minutes, but I want to ask you about churn because in subscription, of course, churn is a big deal. And you say it can feel like a punch in the gut because of the, the, the intimate relationship you have with your patients. What are some of your strategies that you've deployed to reduce churn? Yeah. So, you know, like I said, I, I go above and beyond for our patients. We do have a reasonable amount of churn. We end up signing about 60 new patients each month, and that is over our churn rate. And so we do well in continually to continuing to grow. But you know, to be frank, it's it's sometimes hard to battle churn, especially when you're in an urban center like we are here in Detroit. A lot of people graduate from college, they're in between jobs, maybe they're uh, doing freelancing, like on video shoots or photography, and they move to LA or New York or mm-hmm. Miami for the next thing. And, you know, the, we don't want to stop that. We want them to grow. So sometimes, you know, that's inevitable. Um, but we tend to retain a lot of our patients who are, you know, living here for a long time, who are looking for a doctor that they want a solid relationship with. And so some churn is unavoidable, but, um, uh, a lot of our patients stay with us because we do 
go over and above for them. We have a really fair value for our service and they get more value than what they pay in. Um, you know, today I drove, you know, 10 minutes away from our office to drop off a medication for a patient. It got delayed due to the snowstorm. I didn't have it for his appointment yesterday. So on my lunch break, I just drove it over and dropped it off at his house. That's one of the ways that I stave off churn, so to speak. That's fantastic. I can't even imagine a fee-for-service doctor doing that, but that's fantastic. Well, Dr. Paul, this is great. I've got lots more questions for you about it, but unfortunately, we're up against our break. And folks, if you want to contact Ed or me, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Do check out our new sponsor, which is File, which is uh, Expense Reporting in the Cloud. That's F-Y-L-E-H-Q dot com. And now a word from our sponsors. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. Ron, let's take a minute and talk about our new sponsor, File, F-Y-L-E. We saw a demo of this thing, and it's really awesome. It really is. It allows complete flexibility. You can use any program to submit your expenses. I found that completely liberating. Yeah, and of course, it integrates with all of the accounting software out there. Yeah, and they really nailed their pricing. They use a flat pricing system, so you don't pay for all your employees, only the ones that actually file their expense reports. Yep, so check them out at FileHQ.com. That's F-Y-L-E-H-Q.com. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise and a reminder once again of our patreon channel which is available at patreon.com slash tsoe which is sponsored by 90 minds uh, need a mind get one at 90 minds.com uh, dr paul i want to pick up on the conversation about the business and i, I noticed that uh, a week ago to the day actually you have announced a price change a price increase and wanted to to get your thoughts uh behind that uh, first of all i, I think if they think it's well i'll let me i won't set it up talk about your price increase yeah, you know, we started this practice five years ago. We are charging $10 a month for kids, uh, $49 a month for young adults, $69 a month for older adults. 
And uh, it was time to increase our prices. You know, as we've grown up, as we've scaled with more physicians, there are more things to pay for. Um, one example I'll give is that when I first started, we bought a box of 200 latex gloves for $9.95. And now that same box of gloves is $29.95. And that's held true for a lot of the supplies and equipment that we need to use in our office. And then you throw in you know, state regulatory stuff like workers' compensation insurance, um, payroll taxes, um, you know, just different uh, staffing things, uh, business insurance, building insurance, uh, malpractice insurance, it all adds up. And we're pretty close to, you know, a fair price point, uh, but we needed to increase to cover for those inflated costs over time, especially, you know, I think everybody's seen the latest reports. Nationally, inflation went up by 6.9%. That rate was a little bit higher around here in Metro Detroit. And so we went up to $15 a month for kids, $55 a month for young adults, and $75 a month for older adults. Our folks over 65 have remained at $89 a month. We didn't increase that price because we felt like that was a fair price. And so that extra 5 or $6 a month uh, will help us be sustainable for the long term. And uh, we may do subtle tweaks later on down the road, but right now we feel pretty good about that pricing change. And we only had uh, about five to 10 people close out their accounts after that was announced. Okay. That, that was my follow-up question was, it was a churn due to that. I, I didn't figure there w- would be much, but the uh, the question I have for you on that, ha- have you, you've also added services for over the, the course of the, the five years. So there's, it's not just a question of uh, cost increases. You've also created more value by adding additional services. Yeah. You know, I hire other doctors with other skill sets and they need other tools on hand to be able to do what they do. For example, Dr. Rabot does endometrial biopsies. So if you have potentially abnormal uterine bleeding, uh, we need the capacity to be able to do that. There's a significant set of supplies and equipment to allow her to do that, but it adds so much value for our patients in our community. Likewise, you know, Dr. Orlick does OMT. So she needed like a power table that's quite expensive to be able to position people correctly to do that osteopathic manual therapy to readjust people's spine and musculoskeletal system etc. You know, buying an autoclave to keep our instruments sterile is expensive as well, but we did that this year. Um, and then curbside testing, like having a, a myself or one of our staff run out to your car to do a COVID swab curbside is time consuming and it puts us at risk as well, um, as well as storing, having, storing, administering COVID vaccines. There's a lot of time and labor that is involved in storing those appropriately, picking them up from the health department, administering them correctly, and then documenting them in the state database so that everyone knows that you got it and you don't get four or five doses rather than two or three doses. Mm -hmm. So have you given any thought to uh, changing your pricing to also include different tiers within your practice as well? You've really focused just on the the age um, uh, and don't take this the wrong way, age discrimination, but <laughs> and sure. it's a price, a pricing term. It's not, <laughs> yep. that's what been, so have you thought to, to, to creating like additional uh, tiers within the, within your practice? Yeah. You know, I've thought about it. You know, if I were to do that, we would co- probably call it plum premium or something, but 
you know, I, it feels like concierge medicine to me. I really want this. I'm really dedicated to keeping this affordable and accessible for everyone. And I think going from $49 to $55, it still keeps it accessible for a young adult. And, you know, if you're between 40 and 65, $69 to $75 is not that big of a jump. It's still affordable for the vast majority of the people in our community who are looking for some type of service like this. Um, there are concierge medicine practices out there um, who do charge 200 to $300 monthly for a service like this, where they get fewer services than what we provide at our office and perhaps not as good customer service. So yeah, I always toy with the idea of like, why don't we just go concierge? But the, at the end of the day, we're mission driven and our mission is to deliver affordable and accessible healthcare. And for five years, we've been able to do that while still turning a decent profit. And so I, I look forward to the next five years where we can continue to thrive in this space of affordable healthcare for everyone. I, I think that's outstanding. The dedication to the mission is 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 critical, and that's what will continue to make us successful. But uh, what about the and and again, in addition, this concierge practices is basically you just pay for access, and you still have to go through the whole insurance process too. I don't quite uh, get that. You got that's that's correct. You're paying for access. Yeah, yeah. Um, what can be done to lessen the regulatory burden? Uh, and I'm thinking this is probably a state issue, not necessarily a national issue, to make it easier for 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 patients to to get to direct primary primary care. I'm, I'm thinking, for example, like the ability to pay for it via HSA. Is that something that uh, would, would would I think would significantly help? Right. Yes, it would. You know, this is something that there are DPC advocacy groups who have formed and coalesced around this very issue. There's a group called the DPC Coalition that's gotten together many doctors and stakeholders. And we've worked with uh, legislators like Senator Alexander uh, and others to put in some common sense regulation around our verbiage in the current tax code around HSAs and using HSAs or FSAs for direct primary care. Um, Some doctors accept HSAs and some doctors accept FSA payments Technically, it's murky. It's not clear in the IRS language. And so I always advise people if they want to pay for our service with HSA or FSA funds that they need to consult with their accountant before they do that. (laughs) Uh, And so some people do pay for services at our clinic and at other DPCs with their HSA and FSA funds if they make the criteria and if that's okay through their accountant. But it would be nice to be able to say, Yes, everyone can pay for DPC with their HSA funds uh, because of this amendment to the IRS and they got rid of this antiquated language in the IRS tax code, Um, but we're not there yet. And I don't know if we ever will because these things have to be, you know, almost like pork barreled into some other legislation to make it work. There's no clear fix. And then the IRS is kind of standoffish into making any changes in the tax code in this regard. Right. Uh, that's my perception. But uh, speaking to the leadership of the DPC coalition, they they may have other things to add. <laughs> well, yeah, cer- certainly, unfortunately, like uh, we, we grew up uh, watching Schoolhouse Rocks. That's not how the bill happens anymore. <laughs> Nobody no, thinks it's not, it's not exact at all how it happens. Um, but uh, is there anything else other than that HSA that that from a regulatory standpoint that you would think would make significant improvements to what DPCs could do? 
Yeah, you know, state by state, there are different legislations in different states, let's say New York and Texas, where you cannot dispense more than a three or five day supply of medications out of a physician's office. Hey, you want to give a Z-Pack or a couple of ibuprofen, that's fine. But if you want to fill somebody's lisinopril for their high blood pressure or metformin for their diabetes, you're out of luck. They got to go to a pharmacy. And so some kind of federal legislation that allows doctors to dispense medications out of their offices would be tremendously helpful in clarifying those issues. Um, that, that would be the biggest one to, to clarify. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, well, I'll leave it there. So yeah, I would imagine that some people that there's probably ways around that where you set up a pharmacy inside your practice. <laughs> exactly. Or you hire a pharmacist to work and set up an LLC within your same building to have them dispense medications out. But then you got to, you know, build that into your cost structure. You know, that'd be an extra $150,000 a year to have a pharmacist on staff. And so that probably wouldn't be sustainable. So you end up trying to develop close relationships with pharmacists who can wholesale meds for patients and give them a decent cash price. Mm-hmm. And you, I think we talked about this on previous episodes, but you also recommend to your patients that they have some kind of a catastrophic insurance plan above and beyond because you're obviously not going to do endocrinology stuff for uh, under under DPC. So, well, yeah, well, we do do we do take care of endocrinology issues. I, I have a patient who has diabetes who's having trouble managing it, so we set oh. up a e consult to the endocrinologist. That's actually kind of an easy one because. Endocrinologists are thinkers. They're not doing that many interventions. They're mostly getting lab work mm-hmm. done. Yeah, you know, we're not doing orthopedic surgery in our office. So having some kind of insurance for, for orthopedic surgery would be reasonable or just in case you have a catastrophic issue where you need hospitalization for a car accident or stroke, that's really where you need that insurance. But we do find a lot of ways to get people low cost or free consults um, to dermatology, endocrinology, uh, cardiology, et cetera, either locally or using an e-consult platform. Sure. Have you recommended anybody to the surgery center in Oklahoma? I know you know about it. So, because yes, we we do. Yeah, we, we did. We had somebody who needed to have their gallbladder removed. They had a gallbladder attack or cholecystitis and having that removed at the surgery center of Oklahoma was $3,800 and having it removed at our local hospital was like $5,400 cash pay. And so our patient elected to use the local hospital, but they had that option available to them. And it just made sense logistically for them to stay here. But, you know, there's, I could see where if you're in a rural area where the hospital was not so generous with their cash pricing, where it would make sense to go somewhere like surgery center of Oklahoma for. Yeah. I would say that, that that's an amazing cash price for something like that, because a lot, <laughs> some of the hospitals are, I think, ten, 10 times the price of what surgery center of Oklahoma is. It's not unheard of to be 10 to 20 times the price. That's correct. And then that's where, you know, having, you know, I'll name them, but Henry Ford hospital here in Detroit has reasonable cash prices, whereas some of the other private hospitals who are owned by out of state entities do not have those fair cash prices. So we've been pretty lucky having Henry Ford as a neighbor. Outstanding. Well, uh, Ron's going to take you the rest of the way home to the top of the hour. But Dr. Paul, I wanted to thank you for being a guest on the Soul of Enterprise again. It's been been great to talk to you. Uh, but want to remind our listeners that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending that email to asktsoe at verisage.com. And, but right now, a word from our sponsor, including my employer, Sage. 
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Ron, let's take a minute and talk about our new sponsor, File, F-Y-L-E. We saw a demo of this thing, and it's really awesome. It really is. It allows complete flexibility. You can use any program to submit your expenses. I found that completely liberating. Yeah, and of course, it integrates with all of the accounting software out there. Yeah, and they really nailed their pricing. They use a flat pricing system, so you don't pay for all your employees, only the ones that actually file their expense reports. Yep, so check them out at FileHQ.com. That's F-Y-L-E-H-Q.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! Have you listened to so many of my ads that it's corroded your soul? I absolutely have. What if I told you that you could listen to my voice for an entire podcast? I'd say that approximately half of the podcast is actually my voice. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. And I'm Caleb Newquist. We're launching a new podcast called Oh My Fraud. Ron and Ed explore the soul of enterprise. Caleb and I explore fraud, which is more like the herpes of enterprise. Go to wherever you get your podcast and download Oh, oh my, my fraud. fraud. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with our fourth interview with Dr. Paul Thomas, and he's the author of Startup DPC, How to Start and Grow Your Direct Primary Care Practice. came out in 2020. And in that book, Dr. Paul, you talk about the key performance indicators that Plum Health looks at. And we're all familiar with the ones that you can pull from a financial statement, you know, the monthly revenue, expenses, that type of stuff. But I'm more interested in the ones that you measure that are outside of the financial realm. And you have a lot of really good ones. Yeah, um, so really for me, I I look at the number of people who enroll in our service as like an end product. And that's that's a key performance indicator because if we're getting somewhere between 40 and 60 new enrollments every month, that means we're moving in a positive direction and getting month over month growth. If we're 30 or under, that's concerning because that's, uh, you know, we're breaking even or maybe losing patients. And so 
the things that I can control, the inputs that lead to that end of new patient enrollments involve the number of times I post on social media, um, the number of blog posts that I put out, um, the number of events that I go out and speak at where I can get in front of our Detroit audience, Detroit community and be present. And so I really focus on like the, the inputs, what I can control the patients served in our clinic with, you know, excellent service, uh, generating excellent Google reviews from our patients. You know, if somebody has a great experience, I just send them a text and say, if you had a great experience, please drop us a review. Those go a long way. You know, when somebody Googles us, they'll see that we have over a hundred five-star reviews. And then we get a lot of phone calls about our service. And then people want to know more because they've never seen a doctor's office so highly rated. So that those are the key performance indicators that I monitor. It's mostly things that we can control. And then the outcome is patients retained and uh, pa- new patients enrolling in our service. Right. And you have, you have other things too that I, I just think are fantastic, like how many hospitalizations you prevented and emergency room visits you prevented. And if the patient has a weight, late, uh, weight loss goal, you track that. I mean, those are really patient-centric outcomes because as a patient, that's how I define the success of my doctor. And it seems like you're trying to measure that as well. Totally. You know, we look at a lot of different things, you know, getting people's blood pressure into range, uh, managing people's hemoglobin A1C when they have diabetes, making sure those fall into range, uh, monitoring the number of people who are hospitalized throughout the month. All of those things play in and, and tell us how we're doing as doctors. And those are outputs as well. We can control the inputs, like we can control, uh, you know, how quickly we respond to a medication refill request, um, how often we are getting those A1Cs on target by doing good counseling around diet and insulin administration, et cetera, and uh, helping to manage those outcomes of, of fewer hospitalizations um, and, you know, better, better scores overall in terms of blood pressure blood sugar control, et cetera. And with all the experience now that we have with DPCs across the country, we were talking pre-show about there's 1,636 of them. If you go to mapper.dpcfrontier.com, and w- w- which is great because it was like a little less than 1,200 when we last spoke in 2019. Um, with, with all of that, are, we, are you seeing the DPC doctors, patients, have less hospitalizations, less ER visits, maybe even taking less drugs and are healthier in general? Yeah, so the, there's, we need to have more research on this point, um, but the preliminary research does show that. Um, it's hard to standardize these things uh, based around like setting of care, but I, in, in my opinion, it makes sense that uh, patients who engage with a direct primary care doctor have better health outcomes because you're getting on-demand service. Your doctor has more time to focus on preventive medicine type things. Whereas in a typical fee-for-service system, you might only have 15 minutes or 20 minutes at most to refill meds and check all the boxes. But here we have the time to really listen and make sure that people have their screening colonoscopy, screening mammograms, uh, PSA tests, if indicated, um, uh, CT scan of the lungs, if they're a smoker or former smoker, 
et cetera, to make sure that we're not missing anything that could be prevented while still having time to take care of the medications. And then by the way, if somebody has an injury or they're feeling short of breath, we can get them in that day to address it. And that's where you can really prevent the hospitalization. For example, just this morning, I had one of our patients reach out to me. They had one of their, their eight-year-old son had a gash in their forehead and mm-hmm. their insurance-based PCP couldn't get them in until next week. Okay. That's not going to help. <laughs> and so their option was go to the ER. And so then they called our office and we got them in within 30 minutes. They called me at on my way into the office around 8.45 a.m. They came to the office at 9.30 a.m. at my next availability. And I put in five sutures into this laceration and the, the mom's grateful and happy. The kid's did really well because he's in a quiet, safe environment. And uh, we took our time and we were able to get these sutures done uh, and prevented a, you know, probably $2,000, $3,000 ER visit, whatever facility fee they want to charge them for a few sutures. And that's transformational for individuals and for communities. Think about that from like an economic standpoint as well. You know, this family now has $1,700 that they can use for rent or food or groceries or, um, you know, gifts or whatever, you know, that they didn't waste on healthcare that at an inflated cost. They, they paid us for our services here at our clinic and it saved them a few thousand dollars maybe. Oh, that's awesome. That's why we want you to be wealthy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Because you're helping other people that. so much. Um, you started a website, startupdpc.com. You're helping other doctors make this transition, start their own DPC if they're already in a fee-for-service practice. Tell us a little bit about that. We've only got a couple minutes. Yeah, so I I started um, being successful in our practice. You know, getting 550 patients in two and a half years was uh, really good in this this ecosystem. And then I created a lot of social media posts, a lot of blog posts. So, a lot of other doctors started following my work. And then they it's not long before I got a lot of questions and emails, like, how did you do this? And I started speaking at conferences and I compiled all those questions and answers into the book and into some blog posts on startupdpc.com. And then uh, I got more questions, right? So I created some courses people could take, you know, how to write a business plan or how to attract more patients to my DPC practice on our startupdpc.com website. And then I still got more questions so then I started the master class uh, where people come in for a direct primary care master class. It's eight hours at our office on a Saturday. Uh, we pick a couple of dates each year, and we usually have you know eight to ten doctors, eight to twelve doctors in our office who want to learn this material and grow their own practices. And it's been really successful and a lot of fun. That's fantastic, Dr. Paul. Real quick, we've only we've got thirty seconds. Awesome. I know you, I know your wife's a veterinarian. Are we going to see direct primary veterinarians? I would love that because I think they'd really, you know, if I, I I'm kind thrive. of successful, but they'd be super successful because the way people care about their dogs and if it's oh. just $50 a month and you can come see them and, you know, a little x-ray for x-rays and blood work, you know, you'd have a, an amazing business model. You know, I, I joke with Amanda that we should start Plum Pets right next door to Plum Health. That'd be awesome. Dr. Paul, hang with us as we go through our live close. But thank you so much. This has been such an honor to talk to you again. So I'm going to say we have Muriel Schindler, the author of The Lost Cafe Schindler, which is a great book. So we're really looking forward to being able to chat with her. So I'll see you in 167 hours, Ed. 
This has been the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy, sponsored by SAGE, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at noon Pacific time. In the meantime, check us out at thesoulofenterprise.com. Also, if you want to contact me or Ed, send us an email to ask, TSOE, at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. See you next week.